0: My conclusion, Dan, is what I thought going in is that if you tie, you kind of (laughs) suck. You're not not usually one of the best teams in the the, uh, NFL, and you're probably not going to win the Super Bowl because of the 24 teams that have been involved in a tie in the last 10 years, only one has made a run to the Super Bowl and they didn't win it. Recent history in the NFL tells us that teams who end up tying don't tend to be the best teams in the NFL. a little bit more on that coming up later in the program but first and foremost it's the Giants Wire podcast welcome to the show it's Ryan O'Leary here joined as always by my friend Dan Benton Dan's the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire Dan how you feeling this week after a uh, tie I mean when I was growing up people used to say I think my dad used to say that ties are like kissing your sister I don't know if that's politically correct but how you feeling after this tie with Washington I know you're, you're not super happy reading you know just reading through the tea leaves on your tweets
1: uh, it's kind of like a, um, eh. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's just kind of exactly. like somewhere in the middle Someone satisfying, Honestly, Yeah, after, listen, after the tie, it, it was sour. It was sour. Um, whether you're a writer, a fan, a player, a coach, obviously. I think on both sides it was sour. I don't think anybody, you know, wanted to come down to that, especially how hard fought that game was um, from start to finish. But, you know, the more that I've sat on it, the more that I've thought about it, you know, it's, it's – <sighs> It's not as good as winning, certainly not as bad as losing, but it really did nothing for the Giants other than kick the can down the road a little bit. It makes that Week 15 game, which is now going to be played on Sunday night, you know, essentially a playoff game. It's the premier game left on the schedule. It's the one that's going to be for all the marbles, essentially. Obviously, there are some other things that factor into the playoff positioning and seeding, but, you know, the tie eventually, you know, it kept the Giants in the playoff hunt, Uh, kept them in the playoffs if the season were to end today. They're still a half game up on on Seattle, who unfortunately owns a tiebreaker over them. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see where that tie, you know, fits in at the end of the season. We may look back on that and realize, you know, that saved the Giants. That tie is what put them in the playoffs. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, it might come down to a situation where that tie, you know, boots them from the playoffs. So it, it's hard to judge right now, but you know, it kept them alive. And it, it, one more meaningful week in December is essentially what that equals.
0: Yeah, the tie is so fascinating because sometimes you should be tied with a team that may have a tiebreaker on you, but the tie gets you past that team. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see how that plays out. So there's a few things that uh, that come from this. Like Dan now thinks that the game against the Eagles this week is irrelevant. Don't tell us why, Dan. We're going to tease that for later in the show. And I also did some research on uh, just ties in the last decade, teams that have tied, and, and what's that, what that has meant for the rest of their seasons. And we'll do that. I'll give you that conclusion, Dan. I know you're you're dying to hear my findings on my research last night when I was having a beer, uh, late night, <laughs> trying try to keep my eyes open, doing some research for the Giants Wire podcast. <laughs> so we'll get to that here coming up. But I want to start with you know kind of the leadoff uh, storyline coming out of this tie with Washington, and it seems that fans are either blaming Daniel Jones or blaming Mike Kafka, right? And the play caller, especially, I think, is is coming under scrutiny a little bit. I know you've been a big fan of Mike Kafka this season, Dan. But people are starting to label his uh, play calling too conservative, especially in this game. John Fennelly on Giants Wire wrote about this. Uh, first of all, the Giants, Dan, in the second half, they didn't have a drive, at least until the overtime, that lasted more than, what, five plays? I think I think five plays with her longest drive, and it came after the, uh, the fumble by Washington. That was her only scoring drive. They punted, 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 and eventually, if you keep punting, Washington's going to score and tie it, and that's what happened. But I think... One sequence that's really coming uh, under scrutiny is how they ended the first half uh, with third and one from the 11 with 19 seconds remaining. The Giants go for the first down with Daniel Jones. Great. They get it. But then by the time they spike the ball, there's only six seconds left. And Dayball says, no, it's not enough time. Let's kick the field goal. So they kick the field goal anyway is kind of the point there. Right. Don't go for the touchdown. And instead, you go to the half tied 1313. That's just one example. I know there's a few that have stuck with you, Dan, from this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were certainly a few. I think John, you know, John's take on Mike Kafka was a bit stronger than than mine would be. Um, You know, the players still got to play. And if we saw anything on Sunday, it's that more often than not, they weren't making the plays that they needed to make. Um, You know, there were certainly some conservative moments. Um, You know, that drive at the end of the first half is a a prime example. Um, You know, there was a QB sneak in there or, you know, a design draw, whatever you want to call it. That that certainly seemed a little curious, and I even wrote to the writers at the time, like I don't necessarily understand that particular decision. If you were going to do that, um, then why not just take the shot on the previous play? So I, I was a little confused by that. But you got to remember, the Giants had fallen down, you know, by a deficit of ten early on. So getting the game tied and going into halftime, you know, that that ended up being a significant deal for the team, and and that kind of a place they need to be. You know, you take your chance, you go for it, whatever have you. Um, you you end up. You know, p- potentially turning the ball over, or you know, any kind of mistake in that scenario, and and, and it cost you points. And obviously, points are at a premium in this game. There were there were several other calls too throughout the game um, that were you know questionable. I, I'm not going to go in hard on Mike Kafka though. You got to play with what you got, and the Giants are, you know, lacking personnel in the bottom line. Is their their margin for error? And you've heard us say this before. It's not just razor thin. It's non-existent. So you there are times where you you've got to be conservative. And you can't take these chances that maybe you took earlier in the season. Um, you know, not just because every play is important now, but because you're still lacking personnel. And they were not playing with a particularly effective offensive line on Sunday. So it was difficult for Kafka to make calls in that game.
0: And to uh, fans that are blaming DJ, Dan, do you want to do that? I know you've been tweeting oh, and writing about it.
1: It's so exhausting, man. Like, it's just so. Let it out, Dan. You need to let it a, out. It's therapy here. It's such a tiring thing. Listen, the fumble on the first series, bad. No other way around it bad. Can't have that. Uh, should have done a better job protecting that ball. But other than that fumble, I, I thought maybe that was arguably Daniel Jones' best passing game, best game period since maybe week seven or so. Um, you know, he, he was putting the ball in ridiculously tight places. You saw the big arm, which, we you know, we haven't seen so much of this year based on the play calling. Um, and and I did. I could pile some numbers after the game, and, and here they are. Listen, the Giants gained 316 total offensive yards. 271 of those came courtesy of Daniel Jones, either through the air or through his arm. They had 21st first downs. He accounted for 14 of those with either a run or a pass, and that doesn't include the first downs that were called back due to penalties. He completed, you know, he attempted 31 passes, he completed 25 of them. Two of those were two of those incompletions were spikes. One of them was a drop. So I, I don't know what more people want or should expect from Daniel Jones. It's gotten to the point where if he's not perfect, which no human is then he's at fault for everything that goes on. And it's just, it's become unrealistic. And you see even some of the critics, some of his Dan Arlovsky is one who was who a constant DJ critic who went over this game and was like, you know, he played really well. There were several other, you know, analysts too. Not, and this isn't even just fans who were really critical uh, of several Daniel Jones passes, including the one that Slayton dropped, who then went back and watched it on film and was like, yeah, yeah, the ball was placed pretty much where you know it was supposed to be placed. It wasn't, it wasn't his error, but, once those narratives are set, there's no getting away from them. There's no retractions or corrections that these fans are going to see. It's just in their head that it was Daniel Jones's fault. And it's just it's just unrealistic at this point to continue to blame Daniel Jones for everything when you have players around him who are just failing in droves. And whether it's Darius Slayton dropping that pass, John Feliciano, which we'll talk about here shortly, Richie James and Saquon Barkley running into each other and eliminating two blockers on a draw play. Um, that ended up in a zero yard game and a punt. It's not like Jones wasn't doing what he needed to do to put this team in a position to win. It was those around him who were literally dropping the ball. Win,
0: loser, tie, Dan. I just need to get your Daniel Jones uh that I just need to get it's, that thing. It's like coffee I, for me. It, I need it's it. just
1: so like there were some forums, <laughs> Giants forums, where even the moderators were like, That's it, I'm out on Daniel Jones. <laughs> of course. This course is it. You know, of course. He, he couldn't come back and win this game, and it's like he led six game-winning drives, and his team screwed him over. Like, what what more do you want? Like, he he can't literally do everything. <laughs> and there's this expectation that he needs to do it. And the argument is, well, good quarterbacks will raise the level of play around them. Well, you tell me, what, what does he need to do in that Darius Slayton drop situation? What, what more can Daniel Jones do there? What more can he do when Richie James and Saquon Barkley are running into each other and taking themselves out of the play? That eliminated two blockers. He would have had a first down gained zero yards as a result of that. John Feliciano, Daniel Jones had just connected with Slayton to put them in field goal range. A field goal in that scenario was going to win them the game, period. Uh, And and then it gets called back, you know, and you've got Glowinski, who was just getting ravaged, giving up sacks. Even Andrew Thomas was credited with giving up a sack, even though I don't necessarily agree with that one. Um, You know, and these all came in big moments, at big times and it's just like i don't know what more this kid needs to do to get any kind of respect and not you know necessarily be blamed for everything but yeah that's just the unrealistic nature of where we are in giants fandom these days
0: well it's dj's fault that uh feliciano felt the need to flex on that guy daniel you, know mm-hmm. mean? you know what i mean it's yeah, apparently, so yeah. i mean if you listen to the coach brian dayball he he's not worried about dj he's not worried about kafka uh so he's kind of been defending those guys says he's not going to take over play calling or anything like that. Yeah, well, that's the
1: other argument, too, is that, oh, well, if they trusted Daniel Jones, they would have gone for it on that fourth and three. Um, I believe it was in overtime. And it's just like, (laughs) did you watch the rest of this game? Like, did you watch what was happening? Because why don't you make the same argument for Saquon Barkley? If they got one of the best running backs in the NFL, why not hand him the ball if you trust him so much and don't trust Daniel Jones? Why don't you put it in his hands? They didn't do that, but that's not the narrative you hear that was conservative play calling and, and conservative decision making. They they weren't going to lose that game, and if they don't make that fourth and three, they lose that game. So, they thought the smart money was on the punt, and it turned out it was not just because the game ended up tied, but because Daniel Jones made a hell of a throw to set up a game winning Graham Gano field goal that was missed. And I don't you know again if you don't trust your quarterback like these people say, th- then why did Dayball let him fire it off there? How come nobody wants to talk about that? They don't want to talk about that because the field goal was missed. If the field goal was made, the narrative would have completely shifted to, oh, the Giants put the ball in Daniel Jones's hand and he made the best throw of his entire life, which arguably was the best throw of his entire life in that particular instance. You know, so it's just it's just a blame Daniel Jones show. And those who are in that camp, their heels are so far dug in. You're never going to get them out of it.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, the team we're going to see this week, the Eagles, great example, Jalen Hurts. He's I mean. I love that player this year. He's been great, and but I think mm-hmm. a, surrounding him with AJ Brown and Devonta Smith has helped, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it you know really what I mean? Helps, so,
1: it? Yeah, so it's a great offensive line, yeah, it matters.
0: So, could the Giants surround DJ with some talent like Odell Beckham Jr.? Now, let's just spend a quick second on this, Dan, because we kind of spent some time on it last week, and you guys have been writing about it on Giants Wire, of course. OBJ watch. Uh, the decision might actually come out before this podcast drops, but we're going to spend a quick minute on it just because. You know, the reporting around OBJ is that he probably won't be ready to play an NFL game until January, maybe a couple weeks in the January and it, and it makes sense. You got to practice, you got to learn the playbook, you have to get into like football shape and all that to to actually protect yourself and not only your knee but the rest of your limbs right there. If you go out there and you're not football ready, you're going to you're going to get killed out there. It's just what it is. Yeah. So, the OBJ news that he won't be ready till mid January and that's you know making Jerry Jones and the Cowboys have pause I thought that's a good sign for the Giants right because you got teams like the Cowboys and Bills who are on this OBJ tour here that are probably thinking let's win the Super Bowl right now I -hmm. I think as much as the Giants could make the playoffs Dan I don't think they're thinking they're going to win the Super Bowl this year (laughs) I just don't think they'll try if they get in obviously it's not like we're going to just go out there and and come on the Giants are not winning the Super Bowl but if OBJ really wants that long-term thing and it's more about 2023 now than it really is about helping a team this year. Maybe OBJ can have like a package of plays for a team in the playoffs this year. But it's really about 2023 and beyond. Wouldn't Doesn't that side with the Giants? Because they could just say, look, OBJ, we'll sign you right now. And if you can play this year a little bit, great. Cool. If we make the playoffs and you can play, awesome. If not, we have a number one wide receiver for 2023 already as we go into the offseason. And we have OBJ back and the fans can get in on that thing and all in all of it, the whole thing like it, it just yeah. makes me feel like the giants it it almost feels like the perfect marriage now for the Giants, the perfect situation for the giants because i think that this injury news and the fact that he might not be ready till mid-january it's gotta it's better for the giants than the bills and the cowboys i think
1: i certainly think so and i've kind of thought that from the beginning like i, I you know for the cowboys they're headed into a really ugly cap situation so it's kind of like win now or not at all and and i thought that alone would would kind of turn OBJ off from signing with Dallas because he does want that multi-year deal, but he doesn't want to sign with a team that's got one shot at it, and then he's going to go into a rebuild. That never really, never really made any sense to me. Um, the Bills, I'm not entirely sure what their cap situation is, but it's sort of the same scenario anyway. They're trying to go for it now. Um, for the Giants, they're looking ahead and thinking, what kind of weapons can we get Daniel Jones, assuming that he's re-signed? Uh, they're, you know, the wide receiver market next year is you know, less than impressive. Um, they're going to be picking towards the middle to the bottom of the first round at this pace. Um, you know, so their their top end wide receiver options there are going to be limited. Odell, assuming that he can return to health is arguably the best wide receiver abel- available. Um, so getting him now and making sure you don't have to compete with him during free agency certainly makes sense as well. So I, I always thought it kind of made more sense for the Giants. And And let me just say this. I think Jerry Jones leaking that information is one of the most disgusting, shady things that the Dallas Cowboys have ever done before. Jerry being Jerry. Um, Yeah, well, it potentially crushes Odell's market. And I think that's the really foul thing to do after spending months putting the full court press on him and and talking him up and and saying all these wonderful things. And the second something doesn't go your way, you just bury the guy publicly. I, I think that was a really, really disgusting move by Jerry Jones.
0: That's just Jerry, man. He can't get off the radio show. He can't, he has to have yeah. these post game well, pressers. Listen, he can't you're stop Odell, talking.
1: How the hell can you look at that and be like, yep, that's the guy I want to go play for?
0: I, I mean, exactly. It's the Giants, man. Uh, and maybe, maybe before this podcast drops again, he'll already make his decision and it won't be the Giants. But it just feels like right now, as we speak, the Giants are the best situation for him uh, it, uh, and, and for everybody. I really do believe that. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more, but first, some fantasy advice from
2: the huddle.com this is the typical sports book fantasy minute let's make this interesting interesting Corey Benigni with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for Week 14. Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff versus the Minnesota Vikings. The former Ram has thrown multiple touchdowns in three of his last five games and has at least 20 fantasy points in consecutive outings. Back in the Week 3 meeting versus the Vikes, he threw for 277 yards, one touchdown, and a pick. Minnesota has allowed quarterbacks to average 24 fantasy points per game in 2022 as the fourth weakest defense of the position. Even Mike White and Mac Jones have exceeded that mark versus the Vikings in the last two games. With six teams on a bye, Goff is a rock-solid quarterback one. Carolina Panthers running back Deontay Foreman at the Seattle Seahawks. Foreman sat out of practice Wednesday with a foot injury, but he's expected to play, according to his head coach. The Panthers have fed Foreman at least 24 carries three times in the last five weeks, but has scored just once in the last four games. Carolina returns from its bye week with Sam Darnold once again under center to face a Seattle unit that has been trampled by running backs in 2022. So we can consider 80 rushing yards and a touchdown to be a remarkably safe floor. This matchup ranks as the eighth easiest opponent for rushing yards allowed per game since Week 8, and it's number four in terms of ease of scoring touchdowns on the ground by the position. Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Mac Hollins at Los Angeles Rams. His role has increased of late, but he has just one touchdown grab since week seven in his top 10 PPR points in half of his appearances over that time frame. The Rams have given up the most receptions per game to the position in the last five weeks, and only three teams have allowed more receiving yards over that span. Hollins makes for a sound option as a flex play in deeper leagues to help cover the enlarged slate of bye teams. New England Patriots tight end Hunter Henry at Arizona Cardinals. The best match matchup of the year by a decent margin offers hope for Henry to not be a lineup anchor as he has been most of the year. He posted three catches for 63 yards and a touchdown against the Vikings in week 12, but everything else since week six has been far from memorable. Arizona has granted tight ends the most yards and catches per game since week eight as well as in 2022, and the position has found Pager nine times on the year. Six teams on a bye make Henry a much more palatable play. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical Sportsbook fan.
0: All right, we're back, and Dan, you ready for just? I'm going to thirty seconds on my research. You ready for my research on teams that tie?
1: <laughs> Let's hear it.
0: Okay, so in the last decade, because I thought I'm like, all right, how many ties have there been? Like, there's been twelve ties in the last ten years. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of ties. So, especially when they changed the overtime rules and made it so you could match a field goal, and it was only ten minutes. Like, the ties have have happened. So, yeah. twelve minutes
1: is, is lame, by the
0: way. I know. I, I agree. It's just like it's promoting the ties, Dan. So, yeah. there's been twelve ties in the last ten years. So that's more than one a year. You know, a little bit over one a year on average. That's actually uh, surprising. Yeah, and there's been two this year. Remember the Colts and yeah. Houston tied yeah. at the beginning of the year. So that's twenty-four teams, right? So I just went through. I went through all twenty-four teams last night, Dan. Again, on my couch with a beard. I don't know why I was doing this, but I'm just like, I uh, there's got to be something to find here with these teams <laughs> that tie, because in the back of my mind. I had the conclusion already, but I'll tell you what it is in a minute. 24 teams have tied in the last 10 years, including this season. Six have qualified for the playoffs, 25%. So of those six playoff qualifiers, only three teams advanced. And of those three teams that advanced, only one. It was the 2012 San Francisco 49ers with Colin Kaepernick that won multiple games and reached the Super Bowl. That was the year the 49ers lost to the Ravens. Mm -hmm. So my conclusion, Dan, is what I thought going in, is that if you tie you kind of suck. You're not not usually one of the best teams in the the NFL, and you're probably not going to win the Super Bowl because of the 24 teams that have been involved in a tie in the last 10 years, only one has made a run to the Super Bowl, and they didn't win it. So the odds of one out of 24, that's not good odds. I'm not a big math guy, but that was my conclusion, Dan. I don't think the Giants are winning the Super Bowl. I know you're stunned by that finding, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. I I don't think the Giants are winning the Super Bowl anyway, so I'm not sure the tie really makes any bit of a difference, (laughs) but I'll throw one back at you. Um, Give it to the me. The last time the, the Giants had a tie, it came in 1997, week 13 against the the then Washington Redskins. And with the tie, they improved their record or, you know, I don't know if improved is the right word for it, but they moved their record to 7-4-1. So how's that for uh, – So
0: same Stantico. week of the year, same team, and same record. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I feel like that. that's something like – for those that uh, believe in astrology or something there's something with the universe and and he, the spirit. And w- there's something weird about that, right? Like this, this like that shouldn't happen the same exact way again. Uh, all those years later, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, so yeah. Weird so how that yeah, that's weird, man. So, okay. So there's our tie talk.
1: Well, that, that, that tends to happen with Washington, you know, because you, you've got the, you know, the quarterbacks who have suffered those gruesome leg injuries um, at, at the same yard line on the field. And, Go go look up t- some of the the Washington, you know coincidences. There's, there's actually quite a few of them.
0: Okay, that's interesting. That'll be my next research. So I'll do that next mm-hmm. week, Dan, with my beer a late night before the show. Um, uh, I'll do some research on that. Uh, I, I did want to hit this before we get into some stuff on the Eagles. Some unrest for Big Blue, right? Uh, you yeah. guys have been writing about this on Giants Wire. Uh, so obviously one win now in their last five games. Maybe some cracks forming in the foundation. We have Tay Crowder who was originally a starter this year and as we were kind of talking him up we're like oh look at mr irrelevant he's starting he's playing okay uh but he's his role has kind of diminished he's now he went from a starter to a reserve and then he played zero snaps and then he tweeted on sunday dan free me (laughs) free me uh radarius williams had an interesting exchange he also didn't play any snaps i think he thought he had earned some run dan after he played played pretty well and the Cowboys filling in. Played very well. Yeah, yeah, made that interception, right? Uh so but he was tweeting uh you know, he's got to sleep this off because it can't be real right now with a heartbroken emo- emoji and then fans were tweeting back at him and he was replying just saying I just swallowed the hardest pill of my life and stuff like that. Yeah. So Rodarius Williams upset. And then you mentioned Feliciano who had the 15-yard taunting penalty wow. that really cost the Giants points in that fourth quarter. Uh flex
1: the win. Right. Yeah, yeah, honest, sure. But...
0: Absolutely. Now he was flexing, he said he wasn't trying to show up anyone else. He was flexing for his teammate, but Brian Dayball doesn't care because he chewed him out on the sideline. Feliciano's mm-hmm. an, a former Bill, right? So mm-hmm. Dayball's not afraid to chew him out. He chewed him out. And I thought, okay, fine, mistakes happen. But Feliciano kind of doubled down by blasting the refs too in the, in the post game in the locker room. It's like, what? Yeah, Dayball's not going to be happy hard. to see that.
1: So warning signs here, Dan, or nothing to see here? Boy, it's tricky because I think each scenario is unique to itself. Um, Darius Williams, you know, he played really well against Dallas on Thanksgiving and with the Giants lack, you know, still without a Dory Jackson, you kind of thought maybe he'd get, you know, another opportunity to go in there and make a play. It does seem odd that he received no defensive snaps. Uh, that being said, you can't go air that stuff publicly. You got to talk to your coach in private. Uh, Tay Crowder, you know, his role has basically been eliminated. He, he you know, he played well enough early on, but he, he really fell off. And listen, the Giants, their inside linebackers are not good. It's just – that's just the bottom line. None of them, and that's not even necessarily just crowded, but none of them are playing well. Um, again, a scenario where it seems odd that he would, you know, tweet free me, uh, considering he's a Mr. Irrelevant pick and he's played, you know, a significant amount of snaps for the Giants on defense. Um, still got a couple of special team snaps. Obviously, not what he's looking for. Um, but this seems to be a trend with Brian Dayball. He, he cycles through playing time for these players, whether it be. Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay early in the season take crowder. Or Darius Williams now late in the season, it's not something that sit well with the players. It hasn't set well with any of them. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on moving forward because you got to imagine that you know other players are frustrated with their roles too. But winning cures all, and now that they're not winning, that you know that stuff's kind of floating to the top. Um, as far as Feliciano Dayball, kind of walked back his anger. Um, in the aftermath, he's probably not going to be happy that he criticized the officials. But Feliciano is no doubt going to get fined for his comments. But as much at fault as Feliciano was, because you got to know, you got to understand the rules. John Mara himself has placed a significant amount of emphasis on officials calling taunting penalties this year. You can't put the referees in a situation where they have to interpret your intent. Um, and in that situation, obviously, it came back to bite him. He split, you know, what was it, five or six. You know Washington defenders and flex. Even if he was looking at Darius Slayton, it's easy to understand why the referees would throw that flag, given the point of emphasis that it's become. Um, but he was right in the regard that, you know, and I hate to blame you know losses or ties on you know the officials, and that's not necessarily what I'm doing here. But just look at that final play of the game before the for the before the field goal. You know, um, Daniel Jones drills it into Richie James, who gets the first down. He stands up. He goes to get the ball back to the official. A defender tries to take the ball from him right there. That should have been delayed game. Uh, it was a bad spot. They spotted the ball about, you know, between a half and a full yard back from where uh, Richie James actually went down. Uh, that matters in that scenario, obviously, because it came up just short, the field goal did. And then on the snap before Daniel Jones spiked the ball, the Washington defender literally lined up over the ball. His helmet was in the. The Giants' offensive line. It should have been offside so they missed two penalties, and it was a bad spot. And that came after the Feliciano penalty, which obviously they didn't believe was a penalty. I understand that one, but the bottom line is the referees really kind of screwed that whole series up there at the end. Um, any one of those penalties would have pushed the Giants forward. Uh, spotting the ball properly would have pushed the ball forward anywhere between five and six yards. So you know, and they missed the you know field goal by what four or five yards. So it mattered in the end of the game, and. Although Felicia was going to get fined and he shouldn't have flexed, he is correct in the fact that the officials were atrocious in that game.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, fine. The not not calling the taunting thing or the delay game, I mean, the the delay game on Richie James Mm -hmm. when he had the ball. Okay, fine. That one doesn't really happen all the time. And the spot with the hurry up thing going on, Mm -hmm. maybe some human error can happen. Not calling that offsides was egregious. A free, that was freaking yeah. egregious. There's no way I, I don't know that. how you don't see. No, it. that it was blows, it
1: blows my mind. There's
0: like literally there's no argument against that. That was offsides. They were they were, they were on the other it's side of the, the line. Mo- it's
1: the most offsides <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. It was, was an so, encroachment in my entire life. That's <laughs> the
0: call that like let's see the refs of the refs. If, again, when you're talking about Feliciano flexing, even if his intent wasn't to mess with uh, Washington players, it's like. If you give the refs a chance to throw the flag, that's what they love to do. They're going to reach in their pocket yeah. and throw it. They just don't give you, them that you opportunity.
1: Can't, you, you can't have the refs interpret your intent. Exactly. You, just, you cannot yeah. have that. You can't have that.
0: No, but the offsides thing. I mean, there's usually mm-hmm. multiple refs looking right down the line of scrimmage and how they can't get that one is uh, yeah. amazing. Mind blown. All right, so before we get to the Eagles and your pick here, Dan, the Giants are seven-point home underdogs just for the folks listening. You said earlier this is an irrelevant game for the giants please explain why giants eagles week is actually an irrelevant uh week for the giants go
1: ahead well irre- irrelevant may be strong but no, no don't walk it back there don't be like in- Dayball. don't walk it back in- i'll say it's inconsequential really uh the giants can lose this game and it's not really going to impact them in any in any major way the way that you know the playoffs are shaping up uh that tie like i said earlier kind of kicked the can down the road So that week 15 Sunday night game against Washington is now easily the most important remaining game on their schedule. Uh, If they win that game, their playoff odds shoot up to about 83%. And that's, you know, regardless of what happens against Philadelphia, that puts them essentially one, one away from improving their playoff odds to over 97%. So when you look at the Giants remaining schedule, it's not the Eagles game that really stands out. It's obviously the Washington game. um, Then the game against Indianapolis, which is, you know, the next best opportunity for them to pick up a win. And then that week 18 game against the Eagles where the Eagles are likely to rest their starters. Um, If the Giants were to beat the Eagles this week, that's great. You know, that interests them that much closer to the playoffs, but if they lose, it's like I said, it's inconsequential or irrelevant to the overall goal here of making the playoffs because of the significance of that Washington game and then just needing to win one of the final three games. So, if they lose against the Eagles this Sunday, it doesn't. It just doesn't really matter. It's not going to factor into any great degree.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I get it. So we're we're more concerned with this Washington game, which, as you said, Dan, got flexed in Week 15 to the Sunday Night Football one, and uh, I'm annoyed. You know, as you know, I'm a Patriots fan. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to be in Vegas yeah. for Patriots Raiders <laughs> for Patriots Raiders, Dan. And Patriots Raiders, yeah. we're supposed to be that Sunday Night window. And why am I annoyed? Because isn't that a perfect time spot? If you're going to visit Vegas, you're going to go on that trip and go to that game, isn't that 5.30 local time Sunday night football spot just the perfect thing? Like You you get football all day, you go to the game at 5.30 local, you're out of there by 9 o'clock, you can go get a steak or something and go on with the rest of your night. I just love that 5.30. I was so excited about the 5.30 start, but the Patriots and Raiders are so freaking bad that the NFL has flexed giants Washington. so i gotta admit dan i was a little annoyed that's gonna ruin my whole oh, trip the irony really. of
1: that is if the giants in washington don't tie <laughs> they, they they probably don't get flexed that's true
0: yeah it's just it, but that even they, annoyed they me probably, more they
1: would have been moved to an afternoon saturday game not sunday night primetime oh, that yeah game that's so. a good
0: point yeah it's just like guys they just tied why are you why are you kicking my game at a sunday night i, I want that that's my, well, that's my spot
1: of, yeah it goes back to what I just said though. Like that's what you know because the NFL is looking at it and they're like that's the that's the premier game left on both of their schedules. Like that's the one that matters above any other of the remaining games this season. Uh so I can understand why after the tie the NFL moved it into that uh slot but I, I'm with you listen but for not not for the same reason. I would love to <laughs> trace you back cuz I don't want to lose an entire night of sleep cover in this game so but, you know, that's that's just the nature of it. That's the way it goes, unfortunately. I hate I hate primetime games. I hate covering primetime games. Yes. I think the vast majority of fans hate watching primetime games. Your your case notwithstanding, it's a little bit of a different scenario when you're in Vegas and you your primetime game is 530.
0: 530, so it gets flexed to, you know, 425 or 405 local time here, but that's now the 105 spot in Vegas. So it's like, oh, you're screwed up my whole day, guys. You're screwed up my whole day. <laughs> and as you know, Dan, uh, my favorite part of the show is usually when – you tell me who to bet on in terms of the Giants. <laughs> and I do like to go uh, visit a sports book or play on my phone and do that thing. So uh, I'll have some fun in Vegas. And actually, Dan, I did learn this this week because I didn't, I never had bet on a game that didn't tie before. Um, I did bet the Giants as two and a half point underdogs at home against Washington because as we spoke last week on the show, we, just, we could not figure out why the Giants were dogs in that game and just Washington's not that good. Now, I know that Washington had... Had bet on a run against spread, and they had maybe some sharp betters. The people putting down real money were were profiting on Washington, and maybe that's why. But uh, you and I were not believers. You picked the Giants. I bet the Giants, and it turns out, Dan, that if you bet the spread, not the money line, if you bet the spread, and your team is the underdog, and it ends in a tie, you cash. You cash because it's all about covering the two and a half. So because the Giants did not lose by more than two and a half, uh, that bet cashed. So. Those that bet the Giants on the spread line, uh, they cashed the bet because of the tie. So you were not wrong, Dan, last week.
1: Then. It's funny. It's yeah. it's almost like I tied.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would have thought it. <laughs> I would have thought it would have got avoided. It would usually a tie would void the bet, and then it's just like you know that's just perfect, right? When it ties, it voids. Nothing good happens, and it's just meh, as you said earlier. Uh, how about this one? So Giants home again. Now we got the Eagles. This time, seven point underdogs. Against a really good Philly team who, team who I bet against last week, Dan. I like the Titans of that game. The Titans are getting four and a half against Philly. Whoo! Boy, I was wrong about that one. I overrated Mike Vrabel and company over there. The Eagles really put it on the Titans. What's your gut reaction here to Giants, Eagles? How you feel about this seven-point spread? The Giants getting the whole seven points.
1: I think the Giants are going to get their butts whooped.
0: <laughs> there it is. In a lower
1: octave. I really do. So I, I think it's going to be as simple as that. Um, listen, if I were the Giants, I wouldn't rush back some of these injured players now. Like Leonard Williams hurt his neck, give him a week off. You know, they may not do that if he can play. Um, You know, they're not going to cave and, and, you know, try not to win. Of course, they're going to try to win. Um, But if I were the Giants, I would say maybe give those guys rest. Don't rush Dory Jackson back. Don't rush Xavier McKinney back, who I don't think is going to make it back anyway. Um, You know, there are a couple other guys that are banged up. uh, Darnay Holmes with the shoulder. These are guys that I wouldn't rush back in this game because like I said earlier, it's just, it's of less consequence than some of the other games. Uh, you're going to want the full squad to be healthy come Sunday night. Beyond that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles, they have a playoff opportunity this weekend. If they win, I think maybe a couple other things go their way. Um, they officially make the playoffs. So they're going to want to take the pressure off. And the only way to do that is to go out there and, and, you know, play as hard as they can pick up that W and guarantee them, you know, the, the spot in the playoffs. So, there's a lot more for them to play for than there is the giants to play for in this particular game. But beyond that, you know, let's just, let's be realistic. Let's look at the personnel groupings on each side here and which team do you think is, is deeper and more talented than the other. And I don't think it's, there's any question about it at this point that the Eagles are far and away more talented roster. They're obviously much more healthy than the giants are. Um, So I just don't, I don't see it being a very good matchup for the giants. I, I think maybe, you know, when they play, eagles down the line in the last game of the season um you know for reasons that you know rest and things of that nature it'll be a little bit easier for the giants to go out there and compete but they're just not on that level yet and i think we're going to see that they're going to get exposed pretty bad on sunday
0: yeah the eagles are really good this is going to be unpopular with giants fans listening but i kind of I oh yeah i kind of love jalen hurts i don't know why i kind of like him uh, well, I ain't going that far. I know. I like <laughs> him. I like him. I just think I liked him in when he was in college. I thought it was kind of cool that he led two different teams to the college football playoff. I just thought that was kind of a neat thing. Kind of shows that he can he could be a leader. Uh, he's a big. It's amazing pro- what
1: happens when you surround a good quarterback with good talent.
0: I mean, that's that. Yeah, that. There's no. I mean, again, AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts takes off. Right. It's just like, come on. Uh, but they're like. They're just really good in, like, clutch situations, Dan. Like, they're 75% on fourth-down conversion tries this year. 75%. tied for That's tied for second in the league. They're 45.8% on third downs, fourth best in the league. They score 73.1% of the time in the red zone. They score a touchdown. Second best. So when you get into these clutch situations, fourth and short, third downs, red zone, they usually take advantage because they're so good in short yardage and They've got weapons and Jalen Hurts has been on fire this year. So and you know, when you factor in him running the football, uh, you know, both with speed and power, uh, they're tough. They're a tough team. So I can I understand, Dan. I can see why you're not you're not loving the the Giants in this yeah, one. Yeah, well but. the
1: Giants, you know, they run that bend, but don't break defense as it is anyway. So that's again, that's not a good matchup for a team that succeeds at such a high clip like the Eagles, whether it's in the red zone on third down or on fourth down. Uh, Just it's it's a rough matchup. The Giants are, listen, the Giants are trending in the right direction. You know, they're headed on the right path. They're going to be a better team going forward. It's not going to be that long before we start talking about the Giants as Super Bowl contenders again. I I think if you're objective and honest, you can see that. Uh, But this season, they just don't match up with these high-powered teams. It's just the way it is. Their roster is way too thin. The injuries have crippled them further. And listen, it's in the NFC East, so anything is possible. An upset is certainly on the table. I just don't necessarily believe that it's going to happen. And, and I just with all the injuries and everything that's going wrong for the Giants, uh, I, I just see them kind of getting beat up a little bit on Sunday, and hopefully that is something they can wash away real quick and not carry over into that Washington game that really matters.
0: Everything is on the table when it's a division game. You just Weird things can yeah, happen. You never know. But yeah, I think the mm-hmm. pick has to be... Uh, Eagles minus seven. I think that's going to be the official pick, right, Dan? Yeah. Uh, just the sad reality is the Eagles are there right now. They are the elite Super Bowl caliber team right now. The Giants aren't quite there yet. And let me check my research one more time. Let me see. Yep. No, no, the Eagles are, uh, they have not been involved in a tie this year. <laughs> so that bodes well for them. <laughs> it bodes better for them. All right, Dan, what's going on Giants wire between now and kickoff? Anything uh, that fans should be looking for?
1: Well, that's certainly interesting. It's going to be a lot of injury updates, I'll tell you that. Um, we're going to find out today. This is uh, Wednesday as of this recording uh, what the status of Leonard Williams is. That obviously matters you know, significantly. Um, we're going to see if Dory Jackson is able to start getting things moving back in the right direction. Uh, Xavier McKinney updates. I, again, I'm not really overly optimistic about that. There's going to be the Odell watch. Maybe by the time you listen to this, that's already been settled. Not sure. We'll find out. And then just the general pregame coverage uh, leading up to, you know, the Eagles game. Which you know, if you just listen to this podcast, you probably know what we're writing about. Um, So it's just a lot of the, a lot of the usual late week coverage on Giants where Things next week are going to be a lot more tuned up uh, with the significance of that game. Uh, But for right now, it's basically injury watch and Odell watch.
0: All right, that's Dan Benton right there. Make sure you're checking out. The Giants Wire online and make sure you're following Giants Wire on Twitter. The handle is in the description of the show. We appreciate you for joining us. We'll catch you next week.